Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, brought to you by Living Stream Ministry. These programs are based on the ministry of Witness Lee and his 21-year crowning work, The Life Study of the Bible, which focuses on the enjoyment of Christ as the divine life as revealed in the Bible. We hope that through these studies, you'll be brought into a deeper enjoyment of the scriptures and of our dear and precious Lord Jesus. You can contact us by sending email to radio at lsm.org, or reach us toll-free, 888-LIFE-STUDY. Now, let's join today's program. Seven letters to seven local churches that collectively paint a portrait of 2,000 years of church history. That's a summary of Revelation chapters 2 and 3. These letters have been our focus for the past six broadcasts on Life Study of the Bible, and today we find ourselves looking at the seventh and final of these incredible epistles from John to the seven local churches in Asia. Ron Kangas has joined us today as we consider Laodicea. And Ron, from the first of these seven letters, we've seen how they each have a literal application to the actual churches that they were written to at the time but that they also bear a very striking prophetic function in depicting entire periods or eras of church history. Maybe it'd be good here as we begin if you could give us a quick summary of these uh, periods as we've seen them opened up in the previous six programs. Let's approach uh, the seven churches in this way, putting them in two categories of three and four respectively. The reason I propose we view the matter this way is that the first three churches prophetically signify periods of history that have already passed. And the churches in the stages so prophesied uh, in relation to those periods are historically over. However, uh, the last four churches in their prophetic significance and in their actual existence uh, are with us today and will continue until the Lord comes back. We emphasize the fact that these epistles addressed actual, practical, particular local churches in the province of Asia toward the end of the first century. But our understanding is that the book of Revelation, being a prophecy, includes a prophetic dimension to these epistles to the seven churches. So to Ephesus, that refers prophetically to the church at the very end of the apostolic period. Smyrna, that refers to the church during the uh, lengthy period of persecution under the Roman Empire. Pergamos, that refers to the time when the church became married, so to speak, to the world. So that is the period following the persecution and before the stage signified by Thyatira. That's the first group. Thyatira, we understand to be the apostate church that was formed, let's say, at the latest officially in the 6th century, and that continues today and will continue until the end. That's Thyatira. Sardis signifies prophetically the church in Reformation, or the Reformed, that's with a small r, church, beginning at the time of the Reformation under Luther and continuing until the Lord's coming. Philadelphia, 
which signifies the recovery of the practical expression of the church according to the desire of God's heart, refers to a period of recovery beyond that of the Reformed Church that began early in the 19th century. And the recovered church, the genuine proper church according to the New Testament, will also continue until the Lord's coming. Unfortunately, the recovered church can and has become uh, degraded, and that degradation is signified by Laodicea. Of course, we all try to find which category we fit in, and of course, uh, all the believers today want to be Philadelphia that represents the Lord's heart. In each of these cases, there are principles, there are elements that all can affect us regardless of uh, what system or what category we may fit into at the time, and probably the same is the case in Laodicea. This is correct. There are matters in each of the epistles that we should all take heed to. That's the significance of the Lord's word. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Regarding the practical church life in which we participate, what is in our heart is that all the believers would just uh, walk in the light that they have and would care for their conscience in this matter. We have a definite view and a definite practice But we're not here to make an issue of that, but to minister the truth and let the Lord's children study the Lord's word, seek the Lord's guidance as to where they should be for their practical church life on an ongoing basis. From the Lord's perspective and according to the Lord's own speaking, these life matters or life principles are to be experienced and lived out in a proper, divinely ordained corporate church life context. Well, let's go now to this uh, epistle to the church in Laodicea and hear what the Spirit is saying to us at this time. Let me point out, unfortunately today, we do not have any recorded portions from our brother Witness Lee. The tape that we were working with was just not usable. Let me just read the first verse in this epistle to Laodicea, and that is verse 14. And to the messenger of the church in Laodicea write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Ron, each of these letters has opened with a very specific title or identification by the Lord of an aspect that uh, he brought out in each of these letters. Let's talk about, first of all, the definition of the word Laodicea. As we've seen, there's been a connection between the literal definition of each of these churches by name and the need or situation in that church, and then also the identification of the speaker in this particular epistle. Laodicea, we understand to mean the opinions of the people. Laos is a word signifying the people, and uh, the rest of the word is related to a Greek word indicating opinions or judgments. And so this refers to a situation in the church, obviously a degraded one, when what is holding sway in the church life is the opinions, the collective opinions. It's sort of a a religious democracy that everybody virtually just gives forth their personal subjective opinion and they raise their hands and vote. But that's not the way the Lord has ordained the church be governed. In relation to this kind of situation, the Lord reveals himself as the amen the firm, steadfast one, the faithful and true witness. 
What a contrast. You have now a church, lukewarm, in degradation, lapsing into just a free expression of human opinion. And the Lord reveals himself as the amen, the one who affirms God's revelation and the faithful and true witness, the one who is about to give a absolutely faithful and genuine account of what God wants, what God desires concerning the situation of the church and how it should be remedied. This matter of the Lord revealing a particular aspect of himself in relation to the condition or situation of the church is significant. It suggests, I believe, that our first need in any particular situation in the church life is to realize a particular aspect of Christ as the head of the church, as unveiled in relation to the condition of the church. It is this combination of the diagnosis of our need or condition and the unveiling of the Lord's person that brings in the sufficient supply and a very potent, powerful prescription for our spiritual condition. What we need is, first, to admit our situation, and second, but more important than the first, is to know the Lord and the particular matter of his person and work as required for remedying our situation. Ron, let's uh, go to our first section of the Bible study message now. The next couple of verses point out the condition of the church in Laodicea. 15. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I am about to spew you out of my mouth. Because you say I am wealthy and have become rich and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Ron, this is a church that was lukewarm, faced the potential of being spewn out of the Lord's mouth and really had no real awareness of their actual condition, supposing themselves to be quite rich. A very perilous condition, and a condition that the genuine recovered church can fall into out of pride. As you are reading the verses, I noticed the Lord said, I know your works. And then he said, you do not know. I know. You do not know. This needs to impress us. Because in between the Lord's I know and his statement, you do not know, is the expression of the following attitude, you say, I am wealthy and have become rich and have need of nothing. So there's a contrast between what the Lord knows and what we say. We may be in a situation where we believe what we say about ourselves and we may be deceived and deluded. So we shouldn't trust in that, but trust in what the Lord knows and in what the Lord says. We may think we're one thing, but the Lord says, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So instead of any of us being so quick to declare, we're this and we're that and we have attained to this and we've arrived at that and we're rich and we don't need anything. We need to stop this kind of speaking 
and allow him as the Spirit to speak through his word about our situation. The crucial thing is, are we willing to know what he knows about the condition of our church life? If we are willing to know what he knows, then there's hope for the Lord's rescue. If we are content to be deceived, even self-deceived, and not open to the fact that this very likely is a description of us. So we need to hear what the Spirit is saying to all these churches. Uh, Some say that Laodicea really refers to the cold or lukewarm Reformed Church. Why do we believe that's not accurate? The reason we believe that this is an inaccurate understanding is that it's contrary to the historical progression signified by the prophetic significance of the stages of the church. In terms of the prophetic significance, we have to be fair, we have to be accurate. Sardis cannot become Laodicea. Sardis is just Sardis. And Sardis rejects the recovery of Philadelphia, which intensifies its condition of deadness. If Philadelphia degrades, Philadelphia can become Laodicea. So it's the recovered church that needs to be in fear and trembling and seek the Lord by being poor in spirit and pure in heart, not to be proud of what she has received of the Lord. Well, if the recovered church is in that condition of seeking the Lord so as not to fall any further into a Laodicean condition, then the Lord offers verse 18, which says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed and that the shame of your nakedness may not be manifested, and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Ron, a threefold counsel here to buy gold, white garments, and I salve. I've been looking forward to our arriving at this verse, that I treasure the light conveyed to us from the Lord through this verse. He says, I counsel you. There's a lot of feeling here. I counsel you. Then he indicates we have to buy, that there's a price we need to pay. What the price is is not ascertained by any one of us, but by the Lord himself, as indicated by the words, buy from me. Anyone or any church in the situation described in Laodicea can only be recovered from that condition by agreeing to the Lord's counsel to buy from him certain things, gold, white garments, and ISAF. The gold, the white garments, and the ISAF refer to the triune God in our experience, the triune God applied to our situation. The gold, in particular, refers to the divine nature, the nature of the Father. We need to actually possess the Father's nature experientially and pay a price to turn from living by our natural human life to really gaining and enjoying the golden nature of God. White garments refers to the expression of the indwelling Christ lived out of us as our livingness and as our righteousness. So we need to pay a price to buy from the Lord, the Lord himself as the one who is living, as the one who expresses 
a righteousness in all he says and does. This is not a doctrine here. Laodicea has too much doctrinal knowledge, too little experiential reality. And then I salve to anoint the eyes that we may see. This is an illusion, we believe, definitely, to the anointing spirit, to the spirit that anoints us. And we know there was a kind of an anointing in John 9 when a blind man had his sight recovered. So the ISAV is the spirit, the anointing spirit applied to us. So what do we need to be delivered from the perilous situation, the degraded situation of Laodicea? We need the triune God, not merely in doctrine, but in experience. We need gold, we need garments, and we need ISAV. And there's only one person who has these things, Even I would say, who is these things? And only this person, the Lord Jesus Christ, the head of the church, only he can supply them. But we must buy. We should not be at ease in Zion, as the prophet said, thinking, oh, everything is by grace in the sense that there's no cost, there's no cross. The Lord said, buy. What about the Lord's word? We need to go to him, tell him we want the triune God experienced and enjoyed. We want the gold of the Father, the white garments of Christ the Son, the ISAV of the Spirit, and the Lord may indicate how good you want them. This is the price I'm asking you. That price can only be ascertained, we would testify, in our relationship with the Lord, in our prayer, in our fellowship with him, we cannot presume to tell another, this is what the Lord is asking you to pay. The Lord knows what it will cost us to buy. The only way to get the experienced reality of the triune God is to buy it. Once we buy it, then we get it. So we need to wake up, this epistle is saying, we need to realize our situation, and we need to treasure the gold, the garments, and the ISAV of the experienced and applied triune God, and be willing, by the Lord's enabling grace, to buy these things so they can be wrought into our being, so we can be triune God-constituted believers in the proper church life for his glorious corporate expression. Let me jump to verse 20. Verse 20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, then I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, to him I will give to sit with me on my throne. And as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. Normally we hear this verse, uh, at least verse 20 standing at the door and knocking, used in the context of gospel preaching. And, of course, I believe the Lord probably forgives us for that. I think so. We may borrow this verse for gospel preaching. So if we borrow it, let's return it and then use it with its proper significance. This is not a word to unbelievers. It's a word to the church, in particular, to the degraded, recovered church, Laodicea. The Lord, practically speaking, is outside the door of the church, The church is experientially Christless. So he is knocking on the church door, asking that the one who hears his voice, 
would open the door. Then the Lord would come in and first have an exquisite enjoyment with him, signified by the primary meal of the day, dining with him. Then there is, and I use this word deliberately, this stupendous promise where he says, he who overcomes this lukewarmness, this degradation, to him I will give to sit with me on my throne. You will be a co-regent with me, a co-king, even as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. This is a promise of reigning with Christ in the age of the millennial kingdom. What a word! What a hope is implied by the Lord's promise to the overcomer. How balanced he is. He very strongly diagnoses the need of the church. Then he faithfully prescribes the solution. And then he lovingly extends this invitation and this promise. If you respond to me and open the door, let me come into your situation. First, we will enjoy a marvelous mutual meal together. And the issue of this is the overcoming ones, sitting with Christ on his throne, even as he overcame and sat down with the Father on his throne. There's only one throne, the throne of God and of the Lamb. The overcomers will never sit on the throne of sovereignty, but they will sit on the throne in the sense of reigning with Christ for a thousand years. We should end with this note, Chris, that on the one hand, we care about the condition of the church, we hope the condition of the church will improve. On the other hand, we must care for the Lord's particular burden concerning overcomers. He needs overcomers. He's calling for overcomers. In particular, we need to respond to the Lord's word regarding overcomers so that through his enabling grace and through himself as the Spirit, we may be produced as the overcomers to meet God's need. If we care for this... We have a wonderful future in store for us, not only in eternity, that's not the object here, but in the coming glorious millennial kingdom where the overcomers will be with Christ on his throne. We need to hear the Spirit, even in this broadcast. If we have an ear, we can hear the Spirit. Then we will respond to the Spirit speaking and experience the Lord in unprecedented ways to meet his need and to fulfill the desire of his heart and as a result to have our deepest longings, aspirations, and needs fulfilled in him, through him, by him, with him, and unto him. Well, Ron, this segment really is somewhat a standalone segment in the book of Revelation, and we have finished this segment, and we will continue on into chapters 4 and continuing. But I wanted to remind our listeners of some of the resources we have talked about and some of the publications that are a tremendous aid for your own study of this. Of course, we have the printed life study volume on Revelation. This is all in volume number one of this four-volume set of the Life Study. We have the book we've been talking about, The Orthodoxy of the Church by Watchman Nee, where this professor 
prophetic and literal dual function of these seven epistles is really developed in a tremendous way and is really a foundation to the life study. Of course, we've mentioned a couple of other things along the way, a couple of other books, uh, a church history by Andrew Miller, a book called The Two Babylons. But these two publications, particularly The Life Study, The Orthodoxy of the Church, and our recovery version with the footnotes, are resources that we can make available to you, and we want to point them out again. Let me leave you with our toll-free number and invite you to call and find out about these. We think this matter has really touched a chord in so many of our listeners, and we're happy to make these resources available. It's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 888-543-3788. Our mailing address is Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, Anaheim, California, 92814. And our email address is radio at lsm.org. Please do contact us. We'd love to hear from you and get your responses to these messages. For Ron Kangas today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. Living Stream Ministry is dedicated to the works of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee, two co-laborers with the Lord in China during the first half of the 20th century. After World War II, Watchman Nee sent Witness Lee to carry out this ministry in Taiwan. Later, the Lord led him to the United States and eventually to the rest of the world before he went to be with the Lord in 1997. Living Stream Ministry now has hundreds of titles by Watchman Nee and Witness Lee available in English, plus many in more than 50 other languages. To find out more about Living Stream and all that we offer, visit our website, lsm.org. You can also reach us toll-free at 1-888-543-3788 or email us, radio at lsm.org. Thanks for listening.